Hi, welcome to another edition of Hashtag Finance. I'm your host, Barrington Miller, and today I'm here with Chuck Taylor. I'm just kidding. Chuck <laughs> Smith from Dixie Brands. Welcome to the show, Chuck. Hi, Barrington. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. I wish I was Chuck Taylor. Um, every time I think of your name, that's what I envision. Yeah, I picture cool, the little star. Cool kicks, man. Oh, for yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about Dixie. Yeah, thanks very much. And again, I really appreciate being on the show here today. Uh, and appreciate all the support with the CSC as we brought the company public uh, last year at the end of November. Uh, Dixie Brands is um, arguably one of the largest CPG companies in the cannabis industry. Most people knew us uh, for our drink platform. We've been around for almost 10 years. Uh, but the reality is the company has over 100 products uh, across three different branded companies in our portfolio and 15 different delivery systems. So we're a very broad portfolio company of infused products. Well, you're, you've been in the industry, like you said, for a decade. That pretty much makes you um, an elder statesman, a veteran, um, uh, which is good. You've, uh, you've definitely paved the way. And I'm sure, speaking of drinks, people talk about Dixie Cups, and uh, I'm sure you've heard a lot of that. Um, tell us why Dixie. Yeah, well, um, you know, first of all, uh, somebody once called me an OG, and I just thought that <laughs> stood for old guy. So I was uh, flattered to actually know what they were talking about. Look, uh, we created the company uh, a little over 10 years ago in Colorado. Um, you know, Dixie stands for a company that just is fiercely uh, protective of our intellectual property, wanting to deliver consistent products to the consumers. And the name looks really cool on a hat. It's an awesome logo. So, oh, that's uh, great. you know, we're, we're happy to be part of it. Um, what, what is Dixie? What are you? Um, because I know when you did start out, you were a brand company. And now you're sort of a portfolio company. Is it a hybrid? Sure. Um, what is what yeah. is it? That's a great, that's a fair question. So I would say in the early days, we were a branded house. Uh, if you look at kind of the evolution of cannabis in, in the United States, we were focused in Colorado. We really wanted people to come in and associate Dixie, regardless of the product that they wanted to buy, with high quality and consistency. And it was a very bifurcated market because you were really, it was before recreational, so you were only selling to the consumers or patients within your state. Now, as we've expanded and the company is really moving into more of a global footprint, um, I would say we're a house of brands. We are building products that are really being segmented and targeted to this ever-evolving consumer profile. Uh, we've got products that span the spectrum from hemp wellness all the way to social recreation and kind of everything in between. So I would say that, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're a house of brands and really moving into that kind of traditional MSO or multi-state operator environment. However, we only focus on one thing. We focus on developing, manufacturing, distributing high-quality brands. Why infused products? You know, we knew early on that we just weren't um, uh, farmers. You know, we weren't yeah. cultivators. And we kind of developed a, a, a philosophy that we wanted to be the bakers of bread, not the growers of wheat. And as we've evolved, the company, and as the industry has evolved, we're really fitting right in the middle where we have great partnerships with suppliers that provide us high-quality inputs, oils, and so forth to use in our products. And we want to be a wholesale distributor to all dispensaries, all points of retail, not just uh, own you know a, a chain or so in each state. So we're really trying to service the broad um, and expanding consumer base. So I believe you have approximately 100 different 
brands, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. We have a we have a hundred a little over a hundred SKUs or individual products. Those are spread across uh, fifteen different product categories. So drinks is a product category. Gummies or confections is a product category. We have a vape line called Mindset uh, that's really the beginning of our concentrates products. Um, we also have a topical products uh, and they're some of the fastest and best selling in our portfolio. They don't provide any euphoria because they're a topical but they provide uh, great wellness, mild pain relief. And I know that they work because the sales go up month over month so there's obviously a lot of repeat purchases there. What is the sharp tip of the spear in building an industry-leading recreational cannabis company? Is it quality control? Is it distribution? Is it brand? Yeah. In the early days, it was uh, not getting arrested, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then it was trying to figure out how to get money into the banks since uh, we were pretty much of a cash business. But, you know, all that's starting to level out now, and it's becoming, uh, even though it's still a tough industry, a very regulated industry, uh, it's starting to normalize, and and I see that it will continue to do that as it becomes more global. I'd say the thing that we really just focus on relentlessly is being highly compliant and the highest level of quality control because Barrington, for us, we want people, no matter where they live, if they're in a position to consume cannabis in their state or their country, we want them to pick Dixie. And that's the only the only way that's going to happen, pardon me, is that if every place they buy it, it's exactly the same. So when you're flying around all over the country or North America and you decide to pick a Dixie product, I want it to taste the same, act the same, and be the same level of consistency so that you want to keep coming back and identifying that brand with with quality and something that you trust. So how are you going to uh, maintain this market leadership position in two to three years? Because it's ever-evolving. This isn't the same marketplace as it was no. 10 years ago, five years ago, last year. No. Um, especially when we get into the farm bill, and we'll talk a little bit about sure. that. Um, but, yeah, how is Dixie uh, going to maintain that, maintain that position? Right. So I think if we look at the company in two ways, one is the THC-regulated portfolio, and the other is the hemp wellness or CBD product lines. On the, on the THC side, where we're carving out, I believe, uh, our competitive advantage is that we truly are commercial food manufacturers. We just happen to use a weird ingredient called <laughs> THC. And so in every single state that we're entering, and today we're in five states, by the end of 19 we'll be in 10 or more, we will own or control and manage that manufacturing process as well as the sales and marketing in each of those states. So that gives us a great advantage when we lay down these railroads tracks for us to not only distribute um, our products, but when we look to acquire a company and grow through acquisition, we can immediately put that on that infrastructure and start generating revenue and, and pretty quickly. Um, you know, and if we don't, don't acquire a company, we certainly can license one that maybe they don't want to be acquired, but they've got a great brand and they're looking for national distribution. We can literally put somebody into national distribution, you know, overnight. Um, give me a breakdown of the medical versus um, recreational products. I think that's also uh, a, 
a competitive advantage, if you will, or a heritage that we have that I'm proud of. Because in Colorado, it was a medical program before it turned into recreational. So virtually all of our products transcend the medical side versus the recreational side. Uh, we're very experienced on how to understand the compliance around that, the packaging, the labeling, the dosing of those, and how to really scale that manufacturing. So as an example, uh, today we're in um, uh, three recreational states, Colorado, California, Nevada, but also in two medical states, Maryland, and now we just opened up Michigan. So our products transcend both. Oh, that's great. Let's talk Farm Bill and States Act. Sure. So um, in December, uh, the Farm Bill was passed, and everyone jumped up for joy saying, hemp's legal. And that isn't quite necessarily the case. Right. Um, would you care to uh, talk a little bit about that and how that affects Dixie's uh, plans going forward? Sure. Yeah, I think there's a lot of irrational exuberance around that initially. Um, it is going to pave the way for this industry to continue to grow on the CBD side. But the reality is that CBD is still not an approved ingredient per FDA standards. So there, while there's a lot of excitement about being able to put these products into commercial retail, there's still some gating factors that we have to, to get over. Um, for us, we have two product lines or two companies, Assesso Wellness, which is a highly curated, effect-based uh, hemp uh, human supplement, dietary supplement, um, indication-specific, uh, Soothe, which is mild pain relief, uh, Calm for sleep, and then general overall wellness. And then we also have a really exciting company, Therabis, which is our pet CBD wellness line. Uh, we have, again, indication-specific products uh, targeted to dogs, uh, joint mobility, skin irritation, and anxiety. And we just released our cat product, again, for anxiety and overall wellness. Uh, we are starting to see traditional food, drug, and mass distribution channel interest. But some of the big specialty stores are still holding back. Uh, so, several of them publicly have said they're going to start on topicals because that's a place that's less risky in their mind than the ingestible side. Uh, so we have lines of topical products, and we're, again, starting to build that distribution. Uh, I think we'll see some guidance from the FDA, at least enough to give us some entree into the, uh, into the marketplace more traditionally later later on this year, and then uh, hopefully pretty soon it'll be normalized. And as far as the States Act is concerned, um, because you've been a veteran and Dixie's been around, I'm sure you'd be uh, very open to talking and working with states to develop their own procedures and protocols and um, putting control in the hands of the states. Sure, and you may not be aware, but um, Dixie and myself personally are founding board members of the Cannabis Trade Federation, CTF. Uh, we're really the, the premier our lobbying organization for the industry supporting uh, oh, Senator great. Gardner and Senator Warren's bill. Um, I just happened yesterday to actually be at a lunch with uh, Senator Mitch McConnell. And uh, while he's not a uh, staunch supporter of the cannabis industry today, he certainly knows that um, a federalist approach, giving states the rights to really administer this program, create jobs, and put a much more fair tax code in place uh, for the cannabis industry, I, I believe he thinks that's the right thing to do. And, and we're certainly uh, hopeful that we can get support from the House, the Senate, and ultimately the President, uh, even this year. That would be uh, fantastic. Now, you touched upon taxes. Um, 
and it's my understanding that every state is a little bit different um, <clears throat> when it comes to taxing for medis- medical versus taxing for recreational. Um, what, in your opinion, what works, what doesn't? Is there a magical tax number of um, of what people are willing to <laughs> willing to pay and stay out of the black market versus uh, pushing people back into it? Right. Yeah, I think that's a tricky uh, a tricky question because you know certainly the industry is generating a lot of tax revenue, which in turn is making it more appealing from a state's uh, even a local municipality perspective. So we want to be sensitive to that and, and ensure that you know we we're doing our fair share as we're bringing the industry together. Uh, but you're right; we can't overtax the product and cause people to go into the black market. Now the reality is, Barrington, the the, the fastest growing demographic in the industry today are adults 55 and older. Most of them are not smoking flour. They're not going back in an alley and getting a plastic bag full of uh, weed. They're really looking for an experience to, either to, for their social platform or uh, social consumption or their wellness platform. So uh, I think as long as we can regulate it, provide them a consistent product um, at, at, a, at a reasonable price, um, they're going to continue to go to the regulated market. I, I will say that the biggest issue that the industry faces in the United States is the 280E tax code. And Mm -hmm. that's a very punitive tax code that's really, in my opinion, unfairly applied to the regulated industry. It taxes us at the gross margin level, so our effective tax rate at Dixie, you know, could be, or in our affiliates, not Dixie at the public company, but the uh, manufacturing partners that we have, could be 60 to to 90 percent. So so if you make make $100... You could take ten, take home ten. Yeah, about that. Um, you know, a hundred, probably closer to take home thirty, um, because we don't get to deduct the normal expenses that other businesses get to deduct, like sales and marketing and insurance. It's only the deduction at the gross margin, margin level. So whatever is left after cost of goods sold. Uh, but again, States Act is going to fix that, and so the sooner we can get it passed, the sooner that the industry will be more normalized. Any time frame? Any estimation? Well, we're all got our pom poms out to uh, have it done by the end of 2019 because that would allow us to have a normal tax uh, application here this year. But, you know, I do believe it's going to be an item that's uh, a referendum for election next year in 2020. So uh, I do think it's going to be within the next 12 months, and hopefully it's going to be sooner. Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about partnerships. there's Oxley. <laughs> yep. There is uh, there's the big one, Chiron. Um, this is leading into Latin America, yep. Latin and South America, which is all I've been hearing. In 2019, that's all I've been hearing about, um, specifically Colombia. Um, tell us a little bit about how that came around. There aren't a lot of MSOs, uh, very few in fact, uh, from the United States that are partnering with South American companies. Yes. Um, well, we couldn't be more excited about the Dixie Chiron JV. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet the CEO, Alvaro Torres, last year uh, in London when we were both speaking at a conference. We kind of hit it off in a relationship, and then I got to know uh, Chris Naprawa, the president. And it really uh, became evident to us that we had this tremendous synergy where two great companies were bringing very complementary strengths. Uh, Chiron brings an infrastructure, a deep understanding of the regulatory framework, um, 
distribution channels through their clinics in Colombia. You know, access to that market from a medical side. Uh, their Netagro acquisition is uh, certainly going to open up Brazil uh, to to them, which is going to be probably the largest medical market in the world when it comes online. Obviously, uh, their access in uh, in Mexico and their relationship with President Fox. What Dixie brings to the party is. Uh, over a hundred products and high quality formulations and technology and packaging and brands because we believe that U.S. based brands will translate well into Latin America but even if they don't um, the formulations and the products uh, allow Dixie and Chiron to have a first mover advantage and and if we look at it just selfishly from my perspective to your point of MSOs or other brand companies um, my alternative would be to go country by country and find a partner right. and hope that that partner was aligned with what we wanted to do. Now in one fell swoop, we have the entire uh, Latin American marketplace with a partner that I know is aligned with us strategically. So it, it couldn't be better. Here's just just a random question, but um, through, um, through, through your research, are there brands that uh, work well regionally? Um, say, on the East Coast versus West Coast, even in South America, ones that um, regions sort of just gravitate towards, um, or is it just all spread out? Like, Well, I, I do think that there is segmentation, and I think there's segmentation. We see it in the, in the United States, different uh, segmented products uh, or brands on the West Coast versus the East, East Coast. But I truly believe that that starts to uh, become more homogeneous mm -hmm. as consumers can hop on a plane in Boston, fly to New York, out to San Francisco, stop in Denver, eventually up in Toronto, and they can buy products to consume cannabis. And I think they're going to look for brands that they trust. And our expectation uh, and our goal is to make those brands and that house of brands Dixie and any brand that's under underneath us. Um, so in, in Mexico, our teams are working on uh, regional segmentation right now, understanding consumer profiles. I didn't know it, but the Colombian people don't really like spicy food. So you got to make sure that you're gearing your product set to things that are specific to the culture. And so we're working very hard on that today. Are there any brand misconceptions uh, that our listeners might not be aware of or things in the past uh, in the past 10 years that um, just lessons learned or uh, things related to branding? Yeah, I think a couple things. Um, thank you for asking that question. I mean, our company is generally known for drinks. And in fact, I heard even recently, oh, Dixie, that's just a drink company. So as we get the story out mm -hmm. and tell the story, I think people are surprised to see the diversity of our portfolio and the broadness of it. And the fact, again, that we're really trying to cover the spectrum from, you know, hemp wellness, CBD-oriented products through social consumption and, and kind of everything in between. Um, it's our heritage. You know, our heritage is building this uh, repeatable process, this IP and this consistency and being fiercely uh, devoted to quality and consistency. So I think, you know, the brand misconceptions that could be out there are that products aren't safe, aren't tested, aren't uh, of high quality. And, you know, I'm here to tell you that that's not the case with Dixie. Are there any key metrics that uh, investors may want to be aware of, things that you can... Um, <laughs> tell without right. having your compliance department <laughs> scream and run around. Yeah, you well know there's only so much that I can <laughs> yes, say. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
look, I, I think it's important for uh, investors or, or even just uh, listeners to know that the company just came public, as you know, on November 29th. Yeah. Um, probably the worst day I could have ever done it, <laughs> given what happened the month of December. Yeah. Uh, but we fought back, and, uh, and we're in good shape. But, uh, you know, I think that that our job is to start laying down these railroad tracks, building the infrastructure. So over the last, you know, three months, basically, three to four months, uh, we've been able to hire really key executives, people from the CPG industry. I've got, uh, I've got one, one gentleman who was 15 years with Red Bull running uh, DSD programs in North America for Red Bull. I've got another gentleman that ran the Wild Turkey portfolio and, uh, and big wine and spirits um, uh, distribution. So we're bringing in significant players onto our team, and now we're also laying down this infrastructure example, just opening up Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, taking that deal. Uh, you know, if you're not aware, we signed the term sheet on the first week of February, and by the end of March, we had product manufactured and on the shelf. So that's 60 days of turning products from a handshake into actual revenue-producing products. That's something that a company that's been around for nine or ten years uh, has learned how to do. And so I right. think the metrics people should look at as, you know, not not necessarily what our results in Q1 or even Q2, but as we start to roll out this infrastructure, we'll see revenues increase, we'll see distribution increase, and again, I think we'll see some really exciting things from the company in terms of acquisitions. And speaking of exciting things, what gets Chuck excited over the next three, four, or five years? <laughs> um, you know, I'm just, I, I've been around this industry for Ten years as we started, um, I used to be a lot taller. I had hair on my head. <laughs> yeah, didn't, um, didn't we both? <laughs> but um, you know, I'm just excited about seeing the industry progress from the early days of. You know, I was one of the my partner and I were one of the only guys in a sport coat, and you know now it's a very professionalized uh, industry, and it continues to to bring incredible talent into it. Um, I'm also just uh, affected and blown away every day by people that use the product, whether it's Dixie or other products, to help them um, as an alternative to opiates and or maybe as an alternative to their social use of alcohol. And and so, you know, for me, it's I get up every day and look for the wins on the board, you know. And, mm-hmm. and so we, we try and make a lot, hit a lot of singles, and every now and then there's a good home run. But as the industry evolves, you know, that's what I'm excited to see, be part of ending prohibition. Well, thank you, Chuck, for stopping by. Uh, I know you have a busy schedule. This has been your host, Barrington Miller, with another episode of Hashtag Finance, and I've been here with Chuck from Dixie Brands. Thanks very much, Barrington. Thank you. Hi, it's Grace from the CFC reminding you to make sure to follow us on social media for the latest updates on our listed companies as well as new listing alerts. For more in-depth content... Be sure to pick up our free quarterly magazine, Public Entrepreneur, available online at thecsc.com.